One of the games I love playing with the kids is the timeless classic Rock, Paper, Scissors. It's an amazing game that you can play anywhere at any time because all you need is your hands. If you're unfamiliar with the game, each player simultaneously forms one of three shapes with an outstretched hand. A closed fist is rock, a flat hand is paper, and scissors uses the index finger and middle finger to form a V. Now the rules are pretty simple. Rock crushes scissors, scissors cuts paper, and paper covers rock. Sometimes you need to do the round over again because you both select the same gesture. But the game dates back to 206 BC in the Han Dynasty of China, so it's had a pretty good run. What's interesting about the game, though, is that there's not really a strategy. You can't truly have an advantage over your opponent. You simply need to select the best weapon at the right time. What Nora does, however, is she selects her choice after she's seen what I select. And I tell her all the time, that's not how you play the game. You need to select the weapon for the battle in front of you. But she doesn't care. And the game got me thinking, you know, there really is a battle going on all the time. Whether it's a physical battle, an emotional struggle we're dealing with, spiritual warfare, it never stops. And within those battles, you need to know what weapon to use. You aren't afforded the luxury of being able to decide after the fact. You need to make the best decision you can in the moment. You need to know who you're fighting. And you need to know what weapons you have available to you. And as we're continuing in this Life of David series, things are about to look a little less green pastures and more valley of the shadow of death. And we too can relate to that shift in our circumstances as battles in our life arise. But what weapons do we use? Is it rock? Is it paper? Or is it scissors? What weapons do we, as followers of Jesus, use when a battle is at our door? Well, those are the things we're going to look at today in our, in our message, but let's open in a word of prayer. Father, your word is truth. Your word is powerful. Your word is illuminating. And with the illuminating, powerful truth of the word of God, open our eyes this morning to amazing things inside your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, when we read the Bible, or any book for that matter, we usually isolate the hero, and then we immediately begin to identify with them. We understand and back their position and perspective, and we see ourselves and our life situation in the tale that we're reading. For example, when we read Sherlock Holmes, we're Holmes. We're the all-knowing unbeatable detective who can solve any mystery. When we read Pilgrim's Progress, we're Christian with many lessons to learn, fighting off Apollyon and headed towards the Celestial City. When we read Lord of the Rings, we're Frodo with an immense burden to bear to save Middle-earth. 
And we do this because of the inherent symbolism within the narrative. These are tales that are trying to convey a message, and so we insert ourselves into the story so as to relate to it. And we do this with the Bible, too. We're Jonah, needing to not run from God. We're Ruth, needing to be led by God into strange territory. We're Paul, needing to suffer for Christ. But probably the most used and heard example in my life that I've ever heard is I'm David. I'm a little shepherd boy with a Goliath to slay. There's a giant in my path and I need to destroy it. And you know why we do this? Because we all want to be the hero. We all want the victory. We all want to defeat the enemy. But when that hero isn't doing very heroic things, we usually abandon the character in search of someone with a happier ending. A lot of us want to apply the lesson of Goliath to our lives when overcoming a tough situation, but we never want to associate with the next chapter in David's life. Because the next chapter isn't glamorous. The next chapter isn't pretty. It's not Instagram-worthy. It's not convenient. But it still has a giant in it. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But open up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19, David has killed Goliath. His praises are being sung in the streets. We're, we're familiar with the story. And in verse 8 of 19, it says, Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. Something to note is that this was not a one-time battle where Goliath was defeated, David got to go home, relax, and look at the severed head. This was an ongoing battle with the Philistines that David needed to continue to fight. And some of us need to be reminded that one victory in our life does not mean the battle's over. Sometimes it's an ongoing, daily, lifelong struggle that we need to embrace. But there's an upside to constantly fighting battles. You get pretty good at it. Verse 8 continues and says, He struck them down with such force that they fled before him. David was a champion. David was a fighter. God says that to David when he denies him the ability to build the temple in 1 Chronicles 28.3. He says, You're a warrior and you've shed blood. And yes, we recall the five smooth stones and the sling, but I'm sure David was more like Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Being able to use a sword, a shield, a spear, an axe, whatever was available to defeat his enemies. David knew how to fight. Saul, in an earlier chapter, actually tells him, go kill a hundred Philistines. And David says, I'll kill two hundred. And he did. He had no problem with physical war. He was good with his hands. He was also good with his hands in other ways. He was a skilled musician. He was chosen in 1 Samuel 16 to play music for Saul to calm the evil spirit that was sent from the Lord. And many of the Psalms that we have today were set to music, and I'm sure David composed those too. 
So his hands were used often. And in verse 9 of chapter 19, David is using his hands for music while Saul's hands are resting on a spear. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Let's read it together. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. So Saul wants to kill David. He's jealous, he's angry, he's insecure. And he takes a spear while David's playing music and he throws the spear at David, driving it into the wall. David ducks and the spear is left hanging in the wall. And now David's faced with a choice. What weapon do I use? You know, there's a battle before me and do I throw the spear back? Do I retaliate? Because if there's one thing we know about David, he doesn't miss. Just ask Goliath. You chucked a spear at a proficient warrior and you missed. Do you really think you're going to get that chance again? But David does probably one of the hardest things he's ever had to do. Nothing. He could have ended it right there. He did nothing to provoke it. The people love him. He's chosen by God. He's justified in the action, but he ducks and he doesn't retaliate. And some of the best replies in the battles we face are the ones you never say. The things you want to post, but don't. The things you want to say, but you hold your tongue. One of the weapons that we sometimes need to use in battles that we face is the weapon of nothing. It's about self-control. And the Bible's filled with examples of that. 2 Timothy 1.7, Proverbs 16.32, 2 Peter 1.5, all about displaying self-control, even when we think we're justified to engage and end the battle. You don't think Jesus was at a loss for words at his trial, do you? Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 18, Don't avenge yourselves, beloved. It is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, which he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32, 35. Retribution is not a weapon that we use when battles are before us. David, in all his ability, all his experience, and all his skill, chose restraint over revenge. And how much better off would it be sometimes if we chose one over the other? But now we have a problem. There's spears being thrown at you. What do you do when spears are being thrown at you? Chapter 19 continues with verse 11, with Saul sending messengers to David's house to watch him so they can jump him and kill him. That attempt fails, and David gets away. Then in chapter 20, David has an ally in his friend Jonathan, and he's hiding, but he's on the run from Saul. So what do you do when the battle's coming for you? 
when it's not up to you, when someone's pursuing you and has you on the run? Well, if you're David, you use the weapon of worship. We can follow along through 1 Samuel and see what happens to David, but we also need to follow along in the Psalms to see what's happening in David. David is on the run, and the weapons that he previously used in physical battle are no longer applicable in the battle before him. He's out of his element. He's watching his privileged life erode. And let's remember, this is not just the king of a nation pursuing him. This is his father-in-law. That's got to mess with you on a deep psychological, emotional level. But the weapon he uses during this emotional and physical battle is praise. Let's read in Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him from all his troubles. And as David's battles became less of a physical Goliath and more of a mental and heart battle, the weapon that he used to charge the discouragement, the despair, the disappointment, and the loneliness was worship. The beauty, I think, of the Psalms is the raw integrity behind them. The things are looking pretty bad right now, but this is who God remains, a God who is for me, a God who is with me. You know, the presence of trouble is not the absence of God, and vice versa. But a lot of people think this way. A lot of people think that a relationship with God automatically selects me for clear skies, easy situations, and a rainbow at every corner. It doesn't. Trouble doesn't care about your relationship status. Trouble comes whether you're in a relationship with God or not. But to praise him when it's not looking good, when it's not easy, when the battle is on the way, the weapon that I want to use is praise. For me, that looks a lot like songs, music, and recounting the goodness of God in my life. Maybe for you it's journaling or prayer, acts of service, or meditation. But whatever it is, the weapon that we need to use in our battles is worship. To say, I will exalt the Lord at all times, to me, that's a battle in and of itself. That's difficult to do, but like David, the more I do it, the better I become at it. David is a skilled fighter, a warrior, and a defender who can't use the weapons that he's used to using in battles that he's not used to fighting. So we have to pause and ask this question. Who is the battle against? Is it Saul? Is it Satan? Is it God? David didn't just have a battle with them. David had a battle within. 
While on the surface, David is wrestling with those that would take his life, underneath, God was doing some major battle in his heart. We often think that Goliath was the only giant David had to slay. Goliath was a physical giant, but God wanted to slay the giant in David's heart, and he used Saul to do it. You see, we have at times this duplicitous mindset that every negative circumstance in our life is from the enemy. We need to reach out to God and with God on our side, we'll be victorious. I see this mentality a lot in some of the newer worship songs that are coming out, that God is the muscle in my spiritual walk and it's all about how I'm gonna crush the devil. No bad situation will ever overcome me. Not everything is about you but everything is an opportunity for you. Maybe the enemy isn't trying to test you as much as God is trying to train you. That's what happened to David. I don't think Saul was a tool used by Satan to thwart David. I think Saul was a chisel used by God to carve David's heart into one that looked like God's. That's what Saul never understood. He was so busy trying to remove what God had placed in his life as an exercise in submission that it ultimately cost him his sanity, his rule, and his life. And we too do the same thing. We try to remove what God has rendered and we miss the opportunity to grow. For an example, this recent pandemic, I've spoken to so many people, I've read so many articles, and I've even heard some sermons about the oppression that this is on the Christian church in America from the enemy. Now hear me, I'm not disagreeing outright, but what I am saying is that we are more preoccupied shoveling blame than seeing what God is trying to do and teach us and reveal to us through this difficulty. We're giving the devil credit for what God is trying to carve out of us. Things like solitude, prayer, patience, loving our neighbor, things we could never know if we weren't in this position. You see, sometimes the battles in our lives are from God for our good, and we would be better off if we submitted to him instead of begging him to take away everything we find opposing to our plans. With that mindset, with that mentality that God uses hard things to make us more like him, doesn't Romans 8.28 make more sense? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things mean my best days and my worst moments, my victories and my battles. David's greatest giants were not in front of him. They were within him. The giant of pride, revenge, gossip, slander, rage, and so with us too. I could write novels about all the things the Lord needs to work on me with. And yet, the second something negative comes into my life, the first thing I do is I say, remove it, take it away. I don't see it as an opportunity. I see it as an obstacle because I don't submit. And that's the third weapon we need to use when approaching our battles, submission. 
We see this in his diary, the Psalms. David worships the Lord. He's struggling in his situation, but how does he close so many of his Psalms? But still I trust in you. Psalm 34, 14, but I trust in you, O Lord. Psalm 13, 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. It's ultimately a surrender to him and him alone. What David learned about himself, about God, about enemies, about tuning his heart to God during times of battle and struggle are things you cannot learn in green pastures besides still waters. You can't figure it out that way. When spears are coming for you and you learn to duck, can you begin to understand that it's less about other people, it's less about the situation, and it's more about what God is trying to do in your heart? We say it so often, well, if that person would just, if he would just, if she would just, no, no, no. If I would just do nothing, if I would just submit, if I would just praise the Lord, if I would just exalt him, if I would submit to his goodness. You see, it's not about them. It's not even really about the battle. It's about what God is using the battle to do in my heart. We're familiar with the expression, can't see the forest from the trees, which is used when you're too involved in the details of a problem to look at the situation as a whole. And so often we're more focused with throwing the spears back than we are at doing nothing. We're more focused on removing the problem than submitting to the one who reigns over the problem. And we said before, with rock, paper, scissors, you can't really have a strategy. You just need to make the best decision in the moment. But this is life. These battles matter. So which of the weapons that we mentioned do we use? Do we use nothing? Do we use worship? Or do we use submission? It's all three. When your battle and difficulty arises, your job isn't necessarily to avoid it, but it might not be to fight it either. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Sometimes doing nothing and ducking, not getting involved, is the most David and Christ-like thing you can do. Second, when things become more than you can handle, worship. God invites us to know him, to love him, to trust him in difficult and hard times. It's a weapon that literally ushers us into the presence of God. Psalm 22, 3. Is there some place you'd rather be in difficulty? And last, submission. We need to recognize that the struggle we're facing might be God's hand helping to shape and mold us. Not everything is set against us. Some things are set for us. And we need to submit and not fight against that. Using these weapons may not win the battle the way you think it should be won. But the combination of worship, doing nothing sometimes, and submitting to his rule and reign are a free lesson in brokenness. A lesson in living like David, a man after God's own heart. A lesson in living like Jesus. Let's close in prayer.
Lord, like sand at the bottom of the ocean, difficulty stirs things up and, and it makes them messy. And I pray that you've stirred things up in our lives today that when they settle, they help shape us to look more and more like your son. Help us to submit, help us to worship, and help us to be still as battles come our way so that we too can be after your heart. In your name, amen.